0: Good morning, brethren, and thank you for tuning in again. I hope this video finds that you and your families are doing well. There could be some tuning in who are not members of our local congregation, the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. Welcome to our study this morning. Now, for that reason, I've included this screen showing that when we assemble, we meet at 2091 Pitts Lane in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And when we assemble, we meet for Bible study on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. If you are in our area, we invite you to join us for those, as well as our worship services on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6.00 p.m. However, due to the current crisis, members are not assembling at the building until further notice. Anyone can check our website at www. Godsredeem.org for the latest information on that. In case you don't know, my name is David Creech, and as you might have suspected from the slides above my head there, uh, we're studying from the book of Acts. <clears throat> Last week was our introduction to this book, so if you've not seen that video, I would encourage you to go back and watch that before watching this lesson. So go ahead and be opening your Bibles to the first chapter of the New Testament book of Acts. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament is basically the second half of the Bible. The book of Acts is right after what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Also, you may have been invited by someone to watch this series of lessons, and maybe you're even wondering whether or not it be worth your while to continue watching. Well, I can't answer that question for you, except to say that it's always worthwhile to listen to what God has to say. As I heard someone say one time, uh, I may not be the best preacher or the best teacher, but I sure do have good material. And I'm not going to take my lessons from any creed or discipline or confession or catechism or from any man-made counsel, we are simply going to open our Bibles and hear and reflect on the same words that the New Testament Christians were expected to hear and reflect on. Now, last week we talked about the title of the book and how it does indeed describe the Acts or the Deeds of the Apostles, but not all of the Acts of all of the Apostles, not even all the Acts of some of the Apostles, but more accurately some of the Acts of some of the Apostles with the focus on the Acts of just a few really of the Apostles. In particular the Acts of Peter and Paul. We talked about how the book can be roughly divided, uh, split almost into two halves between these two Apostles. With the first 12 chapters dealing primarily with the Acts of Peter, and the last 16 chapters dealing primarily with the Acts of Paul. We also talked about uh, another way that we could divide the book of Acts, basically into three major sections. Three sections that mirror the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let me just go ahead and scroll down so you can see that. Just before his ascension, He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in, and note the highlighted areas there, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So so, uh, we do start off with the church in Samaria. Let me see if I can blow this up a little bit. Uh, excuse me, we start off with the church there in, in Jerusalem, which you see there. And, and that's <clears throat> the first seven chapters. Then we see a persecuted church spreading out from Jerusalem to the surrounding region of Judea. Let me just sort of see if I can grab that for you. Uh, then to the region called Samaria, just north. Uh, and just north of Judea. That's chapters 8 through 12. And then we're talking about uh, to the ends of the earth. And depending on your translation it might say the uttermost parts or the remotest parts of the earth. That's the remaining 16 chapters. And, and we just showed you kind of the map in this area. But we're gonna see, for instance, Paul in his missionary journeys going to Antioch of Syria, the island of Cyprus, Uh, Antioch of Pisidia, some of the other cities in the Galatian region, Uh, over to Macedonia where we see Philippi and Thessalonica, over to Greece where we see Athens and Corinth, and then later the cities of Asia Minor, and and then finally, you know, all the way over to Rome. We talked about Luke being the writer of the book of Acts, uh, along with the gospel account that bears his name, and how he was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament books. We talked about how both books were written to the same man, a man by the name of Theophilus, who was most likely someone of considerable importance or influence, possibly even a government official. We talked about the date of the book being around AD 60 to 62, and that the time span of the book is roughly 30 years in 28 chapters. We said a good way to think about that is the, the gospel according to Luke covers roughly 30 years from the birth of Christ to his death and his resurrection, and then the book of Acts picks up from there and covers approximately an additional 30 years. The ascension of Christ plus the fulfillment of Christ's words, that they would be witnesses of him all the way to the ends of the earth. So by by way of a brief overview of the first 12 chapters, the Acts dealing primarily with the Apostle Peter, we're going to see the following. And I have these sort of divided up into those three regions we talked about. The first one beginning uh, as witnesses in Jerusalem. The, the first seven chapters, uh, six of what you sh- which you see here. In chapter one, we see a promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, we already mentioned the, the words of Jesus just before his ascension there in, in Acts chapter one and verse eight and that verse is still up on the screen. That's followed of course by the actual ascension of Jesus. That point where uh, as Jesus is giving them this promise, he ascends, he is taken up into the air And it says that a cloud received him out of their sight. In other words, he disappeared into a cloud. Uh, We also see there in chapter 1 the replacement of Judas with a man by the name of Matthias. Judas was was one of the original 12 apostles. You may recall that he betrayed Jesus. and, And afterward, he felt remorse about that, and he went and killed himself. So the selection of Matthias brought the number of the apostles back to 12 at that point in chapter 2 we see the coming of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised we see the apostles emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit taking the message to the Jews in Jerusalem now these Jews were described as devout men from every nation under heaven Uh, they were there of course to celebrate Pentecost Pentecost was one of the three major feasts. You know, think of those as like religious festivals uh, of the Jews. <clears throat> the Old Testament equivalent was the Feast of Weeks because it came seven weeks after Passover. and More on Passover in a minute. But every Jewish adult male was required to, to, um, to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God there at the temple for those three major feasts. Uh, Sometimes they're also referred to as the pilgrimage feasts for that reason. But that explains why there were men from every nation under heaven who were there. And by the way, these same Jews would have been there for Passover as well. Uh, Passover was another one, one of those pilgrimage feasts. And it occurred just 50 days prior to Pentecost. That's where we get the word Pentecost. You may recognize that word Penta, like a, a, a pentagon. There's five sides. You may recall that Jesus was crucified during um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was a week leading up to Passover. So keep in mind that these same Jews, Jews from every nation under heaven, would have been eyewitnesses of the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, We then see these these apostles speaking in such a way that all of these men from all of these nations heard the gospel message in their own language. Peter's sermon takes front stage there in chapter 2, and we see the reaction of many of these Jews to the gospel message And the church is born. In chapter 3, we see Peter and John interacting with a lame man who was lying at the gate of the temple begging for money. And I'll point out not just any lame man, but a man that had been lame from birth. And I point that out because it shows the magnitude of the miracle that followed. Uh, This is where we hear the familiar words of Peter. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus <clears throat> excuse me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk then in chapter 4 we see Peter and John arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin that's the, the Jewish high court where they famously stated these words there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were commanded not to speak or to teach any longer in the name of Jesus, for which they replied, we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. In other words, Peter and John were saying, we were eyewitnesses of these things. How can we not tell what we saw? (laughs) Indeed. Chapter 5. Uh, In in that chapter, we hear about a man by the name of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, who did a good thing, a great thing. They sold a possession. Uh, We're not sure what it was, maybe land. We're not given the specifics, but they sold it and they laid money from that sale at the apostles' feet so that it could be used to help those in the church that were in need. Wow. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a generous thing to do, doesn't it? But during this process, they also did a bad thing, and both were struck dead by the Holy Spirit. What is it that they did that was worthy of being struck down like that? If you don't know, you'll have to stay tuned in future classes to find out. But also there in chapter 5, we see some of the apostles imprisoned and and subsequently freed by an angel of the Lord. They're brought again before the council where the high priest asks, "Uh, didn't we command you not to teach in this name? And we hear the famous words of Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men. In chapter 6, we see the apostles appointing seven men over what appears to be a daily distribution of food. And by the way, this was not a, a food pantry for all the needy in Jerusalem. It, it was to fill a very specific need for the needy among the disciples, the Christians there in Jerusalem. A man by the name of Stephen was among those seven chosen for that work. And then we see in chapter 7, You know, Stephen himself takes center stage. He's being accused by some Jews of blasphemy. Uh, These Jews subsequently went out and found witnesses willing to offer false testimony against him. And during his defense, he preaches the gospel to them. But that gospel message is received in a much different manner than it was received with Peter's sermon. In Acts chapter 2 because at the conclusion of Stephen's sermon it says they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And if you don't know stoning is where you've got a, an angry mob of people throwing huge rocks at you until you are dead. <clears throat> Something that has always been a particular interest to me in this story is, is what Stephen saw and what Stephen said while this was happening to him. Again, stay tuned in future lessons to find out. But, but also, I don't mind if you read ahead in order to find out for yourself. Let's see. Uh, we'll jump over to uh, chapters 8 through 12, Witnesses in Judea and Samaria. In chapter 8, Saul of Tarsus is introduced as one who is not only consenting to uh, and complicit in the death of Stephen, but one who was greatly persecuting the church. The result of that persecution was that Christians were scattered throughout those regions of Judea and Samaria, and we see that the seed, the word of God, the gospel message, was scattered with them. Talk about unintended consequences. Can can you see Satan doing his best to put a muzzle on the gospel, to stamp out the spread of Christianity. But amping up the persecution against the followers of Jesus was like throwing water on a grease fire. It just spread everywhere. We see some examples of what happened as the seed was being scattered. Philip goes to Samaria where many with unclean spirits are made well, and, and many who are paralyzed and, and lame were healed. A sorcerer obeys the gospel, then sins, then repents. So in that case, we see one of the earliest examples of how a Christian is to react to sin that is committed after Baptism. And also in that chapter, uh, there in chapter 8, a man from Ethiopia is converted while on his long journey home. What an interesting story that is. Uh, Chapter 9, we see Saul of Tarsus, that man who is largely responsible for the scattering of the church. It says he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples on the road to Damascus. But on that road, he is converted. How could such a thing happen? happen. Many of you know what happened, don't you? Some of you don't. Stay tuned for that incredible story where we will also answer the question, at what point on this journey to Damascus was Saul saved? And I mention that because people today would answer that question in different ways. But only one answer to that question is the biblical, the right answer. Chapters 10 and 11, the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Who was it? Are you ready for this? It was a Roman soldier. And not just any Roman soldier, but a Roman centurion. Uh, likely a commander of a hundred or more Roman soldiers. And let me tell you, that is one interesting story about how that happened. Uh, I'm not going to tell you his name. You'll have to stick around for later lessons. But you know if you can't wait, just open your Bible's to Acts and read chapters 10 and 11. But not right now, I'll do it later. <clears throat> Incidentally, I was in the army for 21 years. As a soldier myself who was converted to Christianity, I can identify with this man and with this story. And you know what? That's one of the beauties of the book of Acts. I can guarantee that there will be one or more stories in this book that every one of us can personally identify with. And chapter 12, it opens up with the death of one of the apostles, James, the brother of John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, whom Mark would refer to as the sons of thunder. But James is no more. Also in that chapter, uh, Peter is imprisoned again. And Peter escapes again. I mean, in this case, the guards weren't taking any chances. I mean, let's see. He was being guarded by four squads of soldiers. Four squads. Okay, So that was likely at least 16 soldiers, maybe more. And he was bound with not one, but two chains. He was bound to not one, but two Soldiers right there in the cell with him. On top of that, there were guards positioned at the door to his cell. And there were not one but two different guard posts between his cell and freedom. How does he escape from that impossible situation? Again, stay tuned to find out. And here's another teaser for you. There's a case over in Acts chapter 16 where Paul is a prisoner. And the jailer is converted. Acts is just filled with these amazing stories about how the good news of salvation simply cannot be contained. And of course, witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's the final 16 chapters. That covers uh, Paul's missionary journeys. Now... If you happen to have glanced at the course outline or syllabus provided by Jason Delk and Matt Dow, you'll you'll notice that I'm expected to be done with Acts chapter two today. Well, obviously that's not gonna happen, but we'll try to make up time somewhere along the way. I would encourage you to continue to use the syllabus as as far as where you should be reading and studying in preparation for these classes. You'll find a copy of that syllabus available as a download attached to my first lesson. Um, so what you would do, let me switch over to this. Just go to the website and that may be where you are right now. And uh, we're going we're to go scroll down and over in the main menu we're going to click on uh, sermons and classes. And if you scroll down, you'll find my first class on Acts on April the fifth. There it is, right there. And right under this class, you'll notice that you could download the entire video if you wanted to. It'd be a large file. You could also download the audio uh, and kind of listen to that offline if you wanted to. You could download the uh, the PowerPoint slides, and then you see this notes right there. If you were to click on that, it opens up the syllabus there in uh, in a separate tab on your browser and from from there you could download it and you could print it and uh, whatever you needed to do. Okay, Uh, now that we've completed an overview of the book of Acts and, and provided a quick uh, overview of the first 12 chapters. We're going to start drilling down into to more of the details beginning here in chapter 1. So uh, if you're not there already, go ahead and open up to Acts. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The former account I made O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're not going to spend a a lot of time on chapter one, but but I I do want to point out some highlights. Look there in verse three, let's kind of back up to that verse and Notice what I've got highlighted in purple there. Um, Seen by them. Seen by who? Not Luke. Uh, Luke is recounting this from eyewitness testimony. Otherwise he would have said seen by us, wouldn't he? Who is the them spoken of here? Seen by them. Well, uh, we go backward looking for the first object of the personal pronoun, them. And in the previous verse, we find it. It's the apostles. So what is it that was seen by them, by the apostles? Jesus. Alive. The same Jesus who was crucified by the Romans not many days The same Jesus whose side was pierced with a spear. And some of you may be wondering, well, why did they do that? Well, the Roman soldiers were going to break the legs of the three men being crucified that day. Jesus and the two thieves, one on either side of him. You see, crucifixion was a very slow, agonizing death. And if the soldiers wanted to hasten, to to speed up the dying process, they they could break the legs uh, of the ones being crucified so that they could no longer use their legs to push up and breathe. When they got to Jesus, he appeared to be dead already. But they made sure that he was dead by thrusting a spear into his side. Uh, Let me tell you, the Romans had perfected the gruesome arts of torture and crucifixion and death. If the Romans said you were dead, you were dead. This is the same Jesus who was buried in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed with a huge stone. The the Jewish leadership recalled what Jesus had said about rising after three days, and so they appointed guards over the tomb to keep anyone from stealing the body. This is the same Jesus who, after three days, despite death, despite the tomb, despite the stone, despite the guards, appeared alive to the apostles. And it wasn't just a one-time event under a shroud of mystery that only a few people were privy to. No, this was huge. Jesus appeared to the apostles over a period of 40 days, it says here in verse 3, and with many infallible proofs. And I'm reminded of one of those infallible proofs from one of the apostles we like to call Doubting Thomas. Now, why would we call him Doubting Thomas? Well, because he wasn't with the other apostles when Jesus first appeared to them after the resurrection. And when they told him about it later, he scoffed at them. He basically said, yeah, right. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I can see the nail prints in his hands, when I can place my hand in his side where he was pierced. And we can read about that in John chapter 20, beginning of verse 24. How did that work out for doubting Thomas? Well, he was in a sealed room later with the rest of the apostles when Jesus suddenly appears again He directs his attention to Thomas. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. And Thomas responds as any of us should respond at the moment that we realize who Christ really is. He said, my Lord and my God. Now, who else beside the apostles saw the risen Christ? Well, we can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just read for you verses uh, 3 through 8. If I can get this to come up here. There it is. Verses 3 through 8. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And by the way, that is really the essence of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And then it goes on to say in verse 5 that, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, Paul says to the church at Corinth, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, some had passed on. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Again, this wasn't just a one-time event under a shroud of mystery that only a few people were privy to. It says here that more than 500 people were witnesses of the risen Christ. you <clears throat> go. get that back on there for you to look at. Uh, many people today want to debunk the resurrection of Christ because think about it. <clears throat> If the resurrection of Christ did not happen what does that mean Let me say that again let let's, let this sink in here If the resurrection of Christ did not happen what does that mean Well Paul himself talks about that right here in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 17. I'll leave that up for you to look at, and I'll sort of recap it here. Uh, What Paul says is, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. That's a word used here in the New King James Version. Um, That word futile means useless or worthless. Our faith is worthless if Christ is not risen and we are still in our sins, and those who have already died have perished, and we are to be pitied above all men. What a sad state to be in. Some say that Christ wasn't really dead. Some say that it wasn't really Jesus on the cross, but a sort of uh, stand-in, if you will. Can you imagine that, getting someone to stand in for your crucifixion? Can you imagine the Romans making that kind of mistake? No. Some say that his body was never put on the uh, never put in the tomb. Uh, Some say that his body was put in the tomb, but that it was subsequently stolen. Some say that he didn't really appear alive to them but with some sort of apparition like a, a ghostly being or something. Yet they were able to touch him physically and he sat down and ate meals with them. Before we move on, <clears throat> if you happen to be someone who is watching or listening and, and you're on the fence about this or you've wondered about it, what I would say to you is Consider the weight of the evidence. You know, God in his infinite wisdom did not leave us without evidence. Uh, People sometimes talk about our faith as if it were a a blind faith or something. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. If we look at the biblical definition of faith, uh, we see that it defines faith as the evidence of Things not seen. Even Jesus said to doubting Thomas, Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you know what? I can believe that George Washington existed. In fact, I don't know of anyone who, who has ever made the claim that George Washington didn't really exist. And it's not because any of us actually saw him with their own eyes or, or talk to someone else who actually saw him, but because the weight of the evidence is so overwhelming. So at the very least, we should apply that same sort of reasoning, you know, considering the abundance of eyewitness testimony to evidence of the resurrection. The evidence is overwhelming. Now, for one thing, the, the body of Jesus was gone. No one, not even the enemies of Christ, denied that in the first century. Now, they may have denied that he resurrected, but the fact that his body was gone and it was missing was not denied by anyone in the first century. In fact, Matthew's account in chapter 28 says that the enemies of Christ paid the guards a large sum of money to lie and to say that the disciples of Jesus came by night and stole his body while they slept. Now how credible a story is that? These guards, knowing that they would be put to death if someone stole the body of Jesus on their watch, just fell asleep? All of them? And, And look, unsealing that stone and moving it out of the way would have been no easy feat, especially under the cover of darkness. And the guards just... Slept through all of that? And you know that those same Jews who placed the guards at the tomb of Jesus would have left no stone unturned there in the first century looking for the body of Jesus. All they had to do was produce the body of Jesus. And this new cult would have been squelched. They couldn't. And they didn't. And and what are the apostles Uh, What are the apostles and other eyewitnesses of the risen Christ? Many of them were tortured and eventually martyred for their faith. Many people will die for something they strongly believe in. But ultimately, no one is willing to die for a lie. And we're not talking about just one person, but many, many people who are eyewitnesses of the risen Christ who boldly took that assertion with them to their graves. Again, many, while being tortured or threatened with with death to change their story. I asked the question earlier, if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, what does that mean? Well, now let's look at the flip side of that coin and ask the obvious question. If the resurrection of Christ did happen, what does that mean? Let me ask that again. Let that sink in. If the resurrection of Christ did happen, what does that mean? How is it that someone who is confirmed dead, buried for three days, can suddenly not be dead? The only explanation is a tremendous power outside of ourselves. Something beyond the existence of mankind. And I submit to you that the resurrection of Christ proves the existence of God. And you can start right here in the first chapter of the book of Acts to show that to someone. Well, it looks like I'm out of time for this week's study. I'm trying to keep the studies to around 30 minutes due to file size and so forth. Uh, I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on chapter 1, and here we are not getting past the third verse. But... No worries, as someone once accurately stated, some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed. But a few, certainly the Word of God, are to be tasted and savored, swallowed and digested. Uh, This is good stuff. And if the Lord gives us another week, we'll just pick up where we left off. So uh, thank you for watching uh, or listening, whichever the case may be. Tune in next week, and Lord willing, We'll cover a few more highlights from Acts chapter 1, and then we'll start talking about Acts chapter 2. Thank you.